here in Berkeley and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online to kpfa.org. It is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for a stone's throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture, drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Ah, I got out my, my notebook this morning and I thought, the list is just too long. Uh, free association is my downfall. I just made a list, another list. Uh, oh golly, uh, I wish there was some way that we culture vultures, you know, could just spend, what is that, uh, about eight hours a day at the theater. Uh, this, let's see. This week, there's a movie called Fierce Green Fire. It's playing at the Shattuck. That's the one about the environment. There's a play about the late Oriana Falacci, the fabulous Italian journalist, uh, one of those people they're going to be making movies about for years. Uh, I looked for her book, Letter to a Child Never Born, it's a wonderful book that explains why it is that some women don't have babies. You know how that is, but I, I'm afraid that's politically incorrect um, these days. We're supposed to apologize, you know, for not having babies. Uh, I looked at my stack of New Yorker magazines. I'm sure you all read your New Yorkers. Uh, Oh, so much good stuff in there. David Remnick, the editor of The New Yorker, has um, an essay on that madness at the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow. Absolutely horrific acid attacks on artists. Uh, the, the basic premise of the article is that somehow the Bolshoi Theater, the ballet and the plays and the operas and all the good stuff uh, is somehow, uh, what is that, a mirror, a template, an echo of the whole situation in Russia itself uh, and has been throughout Russia's history. Interesting notion. Uh, I think, yes, yes, the mirror of our times. What is that Shakespeare says? The very chronicle of the times. Art always tells us what's happening in the society. Uh, for Americans, well, you can see it all on cable TV. We can laugh at Portlandia 
all the new age nonsense gets a terrific send-up. It's a terrific episode on Portlandia. They invite Roseanne, you remember Roseanne Barr, to come to Portlandia. She's a champ mayor, you know. She comes just long enough to uh, fill out her form so she can get another job somewhere else. Uh, she's looking for a boyfriend. She says, well, you know, I'll try uh, Christian Mingle. <laughs> Apparently, you can find you can find uh, a mate on Christian Mingle. I'm so delighted to see that Nurse Jackie is returning to television. It's a brilliant send-up of the, uh, what is that, uh, surreal madness of our medical care system. Uh, it's pretty hard to laugh at that stuff, but uh, to this day I remember an early episode of Nurse Jackie in which um, a gentleman who had diplomatic immunity was not prosecuted for uh, tearing up a uh, sex worker and uh, <laughs> he himself had almost lost an ear. It was hanging by a thread, and Nurse Jackie took one look at it and flushed it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm still wondering how they got away with that. Uh, I, of course, am addicted to the huge, splendiferous costume dramas and epics like Game of Thrones coming back. There's at least five... Um, plot threads there. I'm losing track of them. Uh, I will watch anything written, produced, or directed by Michael Hurst, H-I-R-S-T. He's the reigning genius uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he's got all those good things, uh, you know, like the Tudors and the Borgias and that. Uh, I've discovered the Vikings, yes, Viking is on the History Channel. Gabriel Byrne, that wonderful Irish actor. It's an Irish production, actually. A lot of it comes out of Ireland. The way, um, oh, a production of Camelot, yes, coming out of Ireland. Uh, I could probably just stay home and curl up in a rug and spend my, uh, my dotage, my doddering days watching those wonderful, wonderful uh, fantasies, dream trips, uh, you know, overdressing the past. I, I guess, in a way, there's more historical authenticity than there has ever been. But nevertheless, it's escapism on a grand scale, you know. Why live in the real world when we have cable TV? I did listen to the real news today just long enough to make myself ill. Uh, it seems that the 40,000 children in California who live with uh, parents who uh, are in same-sex relationships are, <laughs> are in danger of being illegitimate, right? Uh, if their parents aren't legally married, I guess the whole families are living in sin. I tried to listen carefully to the questions and answers, but it's all just uh, one absurdo stupidism after another. Uh, I figure it's just material for the late-night talk shows. That's what we usually find. Actually, some of it is 
just a little heartbreaking. Uh, I go back to the, the, the old days, back in the day, and I just thought today, uh, dare to be dull, I thought I'd read something solemn and down to earth. I thought I would, uh, review my notes. I feel like an old social studies teacher these days, right? LBJ. 1965. Civil rights. Remember, folks? Remember? Civil rights. It's so interesting when we look at history and try to see whether or not uh, things have accumulated, whether the wisdom has increased. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid not. Uh, for example... I noticed that it's Passover and the the first family in the White House is celebrating Passover. They started doing that in 2008 when Barack Obama was elected and several people in the White House decided that it would be a good idea to continue to celebrate Passover. And they also incorporated the Emancipation Proclamation appropriate yes now that's dated 1864 so last night i was looking up the emancipation proclamation and thinking that that might be a good thing to read on the air but of course we know all about that (laughs) yes we know yes uh let my people go uh uh we know a lot about it because this recent movie lincoln has been the most, what is it, uh, the most lauded film of the year, the only one that's a serious effort to look at American history. Yes, Lincoln, I guess, uh, one, one real movie about American history is better than none. Uh, but it does make me look at 1965 and LBJ and it puts me back in the Oakland Public Schools and and the time when we were so, oh, so cruel to Lyndon Johnson. Of course, he asked for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was reviewing my notes from those days. All the kids were screaming at LBJ, you know. Oh, yes, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? Vietnam was uh, just too tragic. There was no way for Lyndon Johnson to rise above or transcend that tragedy. He had to be driven from office. He had, uh, well, uh, he had no chance to be what he was capable of being. Uh, Actually, he was profoundly progressive. His work for civil rights... uh, hardly been matched. Oh, I guess maybe by Lincoln, but (laughs) that's another story. Listening to the Supreme Court and the lawyers today, I, I was asking myself now, where is the voice of democracy, the voice of reason, the out and out, straightforward demand for civil rights? I'm just going to, uh, be boring and read at this speech by Lyndon B. Johnson made at the White House 
uh, well, no, it's at the bottom. It says it was written at the White House, but he's speaking to the Congress. It's March the 15th, 1965, the Ides of March. He is addressing um, the uh, 89th Congress, he says. Uh, Mr. Speaker, Mr. President, members of the Congress, I speak tonight for the dignity of man and for the destiny of democracy. I urge every member of both parties uh, to join me in uh, in the cause, yes. And he goes on for, oh, gee whiz, pages and pages. Speeches were longer in those days. He talks about Selma, Alabama, the tragedy of the death of Martin Luther King, the long-suffering men and women who peacefully protested the denial of their rights as Americans, so many brutally assaulted, and one good man, a man of God, was killed. Anyway, and on and on about the cries of pain, the hymns, the protests of oppressed people. And then he gets to the point and says that his mission, their mission, our mission, is at once the oldest and most basic of this country. To right wrong, to do justice, to serve man. <laughs> so easy, folks, yes. In our time, writes Lyndon B. Johnson in 1965, in our time we have come to live with the moments of great crisis. Our lives have been marked with debate about great issues, issues of war and peace, prosperity and depression. But rarely in any time does an issue lay bare the secret heart of America itself. Rarely are we met with the challenge, not to our growth or abundance, or our welfare, or our security, but rather to the values and the purposes and the meaning of our beloved nation, the issue of equal rights for American Negroes is such an issue. Remember, this is 1965. LBJ goes on to say, should we defeat every enemy, should we double our wealth and conquer the stars and still be unequal to this issue, then we will have failed as a people and as a nation. For with a country as with a person, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There is no Negro problem. There is no Southern problem. There is no Northern problem. There is only an American problem. We are met here tonight as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans. We are met here as Americans to solve that problem. And he goes on for a few more pages on the history of our nation and how uh, our nation was one of the first in history to be founded with a purpose. Mm -hmm. 
The notion that all men are created equal, government by consent of the governed, give me liberty or give me death. LBJ says those are not just clever words. Those are not just empty theories. In their name, Americans have fought, have died for two centuries, and tonight around the world, they stand as guardians of our liberty. Right, okay. Okay, he goes on at great length, and so strange. It isn't that these words are empty, it's just that, uh, I guess, you know, I remember taking bits of this speech to a classroom along with Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham Jail, the letter in which he explained how it was necessary to, sometimes to uh, disobey unjust laws. And uh, I thought of the, <laughs> the nonsense going on in the Supreme Court today and mm-hmm, uh, the whole notion that children, 40,000 of them, can be illegitimate. <laughs> I think of Ireland and the old Breton laws, no child, uh, can be illegitimate. Uh, and if your parents aren't married, oh well. Anyway, uh, let's read a little more of LBJ. It says, D to deny a man his hopes because of his color or race or religion or place of birth is not only to do injustice, it is to deny America, to dishonor the dead those who gave their lives for American freedom. Our fathers believed that if this noble view of the rights of man was to flourish, it must be rooted in democracy. The most basic right of all was the right to choose your own leaders. The history of this country in large measure is the history of the expansion of that right to all our people. He goes on several paragraphs talking about the complex and difficult issues of civil rights. But uh, he says there can be no argument about the right to vote. Uh, <laughs> there's another, yes, there's several other articles in your New Yorker about the ways in which uh, the right wing is uh, smothering, stifling, crippling the right to vote in our nation. Uh, he says, there is no duty which weighs more heavily on us than the duty we have to ensure that right. That's what LBJ says. Yet the harsh fact is that in many places in this country, men and women are kept from voting simply because they are Negroes. Every device of which human ingenuity is capable has been used to deny this right. The Negro citizen may go to register only to be told that the day is wrong or the hour is late or the official in charge is absent. Up, <laughs> oh, deja vu all over again. Anyway, LBJ goes on uh, to talk more about the uh, impediments put in the way of those who try to vote. Yes, uh, a man may be disqualified because he did not spell out his middle name, because he abbreviated a word on the application. Uh, 
Okay, if he manages to fill out an application, he's given a test. The registrar may be the sole judge of whether he passes this test. He may be asked to recite the entire Constitution or explain the most complex provisions of state law. Even a college degree cannot be used to prove that he can read and write. The fact is that the only way to pass these barriers is to show a white skin. Experience has clearly shown that the existing process of law cannot overcome systematic and ingenious discrimination. No law that we now have on the books and I have helped to put three of them there, can ensure the right to vote when local officials are determined to deny it. In such a case, our duty must be clear to all of us. The Constitution says that no person shall be kept from voting because of his race or color. We have all sworn an oath before God to support and to defend the Constitution, we must now act in obedience to that oath. And he goes on to uh, speak of the uh, civil rights bill that he is sending to the Congress and his hopes that uh, they will get on, get on uh, board and get the thing passed, yes, he goes on, yes, uh, he wants to strike down all restrictions to voting in all elections. Uh, he wants to establish a simple uniform standard. Ah, there you go, federal standards for voting. We have yet to do that. Uh, anyway, he, he says that uh, he wants to provide for citizens... Uh, a simple, yes, a simple form of registration to eliminate tedious, unnecessary lawsuits. Finally, um, he says, I will welcome the suggestions from all members of Congress, and I have no doubt I will get some right. <laughs> uh, finally, yes, he goes on in great detail, but my favorite line well, he speaks, of course, of the fact that a century has passed, and now it's a century and a half. Uh, 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 and yet, he says, the Negro is not equal. The century has passed since the day of promise. The promise is unkept. The time of justice has now come. Well, 50 years ago, right. Uh, his main point, of course, is that he has the power to do this thing, and that he means to use it. Now, that's been quoted a lot by our present president. Uh, he says, Lyndon Johnson says, Now, I do have the chance, and I will let you in on a secret. I mean to use it. I hope that you will use it with me. LBJ says, My first job after college was as a teacher in Cotala, Texas, in a small Mexican-American school. Few of them could speak English. I could not speak much Spanish. My students were poor. They often came to class without breakfast, hungry. 
They knew even in their youth the pain of prejudice. They never seemed to know why people disliked them, but they knew it was so. I saw it in their eyes. I often walked home late in the afternoon after the classes were finished, wishing that there was more that I could do. But all I knew was to teach them the little that I did know, hoping that it might help them against the hardships that lay ahead. Somehow you never forget what poverty and hatred can do when you see its scars on the hopeful face of a young child. I never thought then, in 1928, that I would be standing here in 1965. It never even occurred to me in my fondest dreams that I might have the chance to help the sons and daughters of those students and to help people like them all over this country. Now, that's the kind of speech I wish to hear from our president. Uh, let's see. I, I'm getting carried away here. It may be pedantic or didactic, but I just like remembering that uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, fought as hard as he could and that uh, the legislation that he got passed it may not be quite as dramatic as that of Abraham Lincoln but uh, LBJ certainly had his way he says I do not want to be the president who built empires or sought grandeur or extended dominion I want to be the president who educated young children to the wonders of their world. I want to be the president who helped to feed the hungry, to prepare them to be taxpayers. I want to be the president who helped the poor find their own way, who protected the right of every citizen to vote in every election. I want to be the president who helped end hatred, who promoted love among the people, among all races, regions, and parties, I want to be the president who helped end war among the brothers of this earth. And so, at the request of your beloved speaker and the senator from Montana, the majority leader, Mr. Mansfield, and he goes on to name all the people here, he says, I come here tonight not as President Roosevelt came down one time in person to veto a bonus bill, not as President Truman came down one time to urge the passage of a railroad bill. I come here to ask you to share this task with me and to share it with the people we both work for. Gee, gosh, I love that. He knows he's a public servant. <laughs> and LBJ goes on to talk about... Uh, oh the deep and unspoken hopes in the hearts of the people. I was reading this last night and thinking of uh, a movie. <laughs> it's all about it's all about Bill Clinton. It's a kind of a Frank Capra kind of movie. Uh, it's called Primary Colors. It's the last time we had a hopeful, cheerful movie about a president who wanted to work for the little guy, what is now called the middle class. Mm, LBJ took it seriously. Uh, he talks about how often 
our people find their own pursuit of happiness to be uh, darn near impossible. He writes about how many problems each little family has. They look most of all to themselves for their future, but I think, he writes, I think they also look to each one of us. Above the pyramid on the great seal of the United States, it says in Latin, God has favored our undertaking. God will not favor everything that we do, but I cannot help but believe that he truly understands and that he favors the undertaking that we begin tonight. Once again, that's Lyndon Baines Johnson back in 1965, trying to be a better man, a good man, a wise president. Uh, I, I think we could stand a rerun of that. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I'll be back on the air next week at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. KPFA listeners, KPFA's Community Advisory Board, or the CAB, needs new members, people with a diversity of racial, ethnic, age, gender, and socioeconomic backgrounds. The CAB assesses the programming needs and preferences of people in KPFA's listening area and reports its findings to the local station board and management. To nominate somebody you know or yourself, email the CAB at cab.kpfa at gmail.com to request a nomination form. You can also email us with any questions. New cab members will then be selected by the local station board. Serving on the cab or urging your friends and co-workers to do so is a great way to help your community and KPFA.